Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined by our guest, Becky Manley, today. Becky, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And so for our listeners and our viewers, I thought I'd give a little bit of your background. So Becky Manley is the founder of the Multi-Service Eating Disorder Association, and she's a certified coach. She has created a curriculum entitled Teaching Body Confidence, which has been featured on several television and local news programs. Um, Her passion is working with teens and families on issues related to body image and self-esteem. So Becky, why did you get into this area? So, you know, I struggled for most of my life, uh, my childhood, my adolescence with disordered eating and then later an eating disorder. And when I went to graduate school, I had to do um, a paper, a research paper on um, a nonprofit that I'd like to create. Like what, where, what's in the community that um, is needed right now? And I created this organization, which is now Meta, for my um, graduate thesis. And I was approached by my graduate school and they said, we think this is a fabulous idea. We think it's really needed. And so Meta was launched in February 1994. And the mission that was started then is pretty much the mission today. Um, Meta provides educational awareness to community organizations. We provide clinical services to individuals and families, and we provide training for clinicians. Well, it's such an important area, and I think a loaded topic for so many people, body image, self-esteem, anything related to this. And I tend to think of it through the female landscape, although I know that that's not the only group that is impacted by these issues. I guess my question is for parents out there as they're thinking about their child, what are issues you know that they should be aware of related to body image? You know, what are signs that someone may not be developing with the most positive body image? And what are the trends you're seeing with young people? So we're starting to see children as young as four and five start to develop a poor body image, Mm -hmm. saying that they dislike parts of their bodies. I've done a lot of work in preschools and early education settings, talking with educators on how they can help children develop a positive body image. So things that parents might want to look out for would be uh, a child or an adolescent who starts talking about their body in a negative way, such as, I hate my stomach, I hate my thighs, or certain body parts. Um, This would be a child who starts to um, think about food a lot or starts to talk about not wanting to eat eat certain foods, or um, a child who says, I don't want to eat that because it's bad for me. And, um, you know, it really starts to interfere with how this child is growing and developing. 
So I'm struck by the age that you mentioned, four or five, just seems so young to, to start with these types of issues. And I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering, like, where does that come from? Is it is it media related? Is it messaging that they've heard in school or from parents? Or you know, how does somebody at that young of an age when, I don't know, at four or five, I think I was motivated by ice cream most of the time. You know, how do we, how does that kind of behavior develop? And what's, I don't want to say who's to blame, but what are some of the common causes of, of that level of nervousness yeah. ar arising so young? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I think when you think about um, for kids who their role models are and role mo their role models tend to be their parents. And again, this isn't the blame game. We are in a culture that glorifies thinness, health and the perfect body. And if a child is growing up in a household where there is a lot of dieting and emphasis on appearance, that can certainly affect a child and how they feel about their body. And one of the things that I talk to parents a lot about is just starting to, to kind of take some self-reflection um, around themselves and their own body image. How do they feel about their bodies? Did they hide their bodies? Are they constantly asking their partner, am I fat or do I look bad in this? Those types of comments are heard by young children. That combined with the fact that we are in this very, very highly dense social media um, society and the messages that we are all getting through social media about what we should look like, what we should be eating and how we should be exercising. All these factors play a huge role in the development of a child in their body image. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a tough one right now, but there's a lot of things that parents can do that can be really super, super helpful. Can you give us some um, of those examples? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, um, so I, I've developed this kind of this formula, it's called the five A's of body confidence. And the first A is assertive. Um, to, for parents to teach their kids to be assertive, to speak up for what they believe in, because what we know about eating disorders, on um, poor body image is oftentimes um, kids and adolescents and adults will use food and eating to convey what they need. So teaching kids at an early age to be assertive, to ask for what they need is definitely a protective factor. Um, the second A is awareness, teaching kids to be aware of societal pressures, that you're not gonna look like Bar Barbie and you're not gonna look like a Bratz doll, um, and that the role of um, social media and how you feel about your body and the fact that models are highly edited and what we look at um, on TV and fashion magazines and social media is a reality. Uh, the third A is acceptance, helping your child to accept the body that they have. You know, genetics plays a huge role in what we all look like and helping kids to know genetically what their body size and where their body shape and size comes from can be really, really important. Um, the fourth A is called action and that's helping your child to identify feelings and then to learn appropriate ways to communicate those feelings. 
Again, what we know about eating disorders is that the eating disorder voice is a way to communicate feelings. So if we can help a child very early on learn to regulate their emotions, that can be a huge protective factor for the development of an eating disorder or body dissatisfaction. And then the last A is activity. And that is for parents to provide lots of different ways that their kids can move. That doesn't mean that they have to be in an organized sport or to join a team, but to provide a lot of different opportunities for movement. Because what we know about body image is that the more that kids can move and have that mind-body connection, the greater chances they're going to have with feeling good about themselves. So those are kind of five A's that I talk about to help parents for protective factors for the development of an eating disorder or disordered eating. Really helpful. I mean, as you know, our firm works with affluent families and I was lucky enough to go to some really competitive schools. And one question I have, you know, what I always say about my undergraduate experience was that I didn't notice substance use as much. Now that was probably because I wasn't a drinker until I was 21. I was a classic nerd, mm -hmm. um, but I did notice eating disordered behaviors. You know, I, I remember distinctly a young woman who lived close to me, um, in an adjoining room and she, uh, or not in an adjoining room, but on the same hall. And she, I don't know that I ever saw her eat a hot meal during one of the years I was at school. She would eat dried cereal and salad with very limited dressing. So I, I felt like eating issues were pretty evident at my undergraduate experience. Was that sort of my personal experience or what's been your, I'm kind of curious if that's one, a one-off anecdote or what your view is on high achieving and, and affluent families uh, and the presence or prevalence of eating disorders? That's a really good question. So early research told us that eating disorders only affected um, individuals, pretty much white wealthy girls, um, individuals in uh, wealthier income brackets. And what we know now is that eating disorders affect all different uh, socioeconomic um, income levels. And But what we found early on was that those were the only the people who were getting treated. So that's where the research came mm -hmm. from. Only people that had resources were getting treated. Um, what we know about the college population is a, approximately 20% of college females will struggle with an eating disorder during college. And, um, you know, about 10% of individuals in Massachusetts will have an eating disorder within their lifetime. And those are unbelievable statistics. And if you think about college, oftentimes this is a time of transition. And it's oftentimes the first time kids are living away from home. And maybe this is a kid who didn't have, um, you know, the ability to learn to regulate feelings and emotions. And now you're in a high stress environment and you start to notice that, wow, this is something I can really control. And this, this is something that really can help me feel better. I will say that in families where there is an emphasis on achievement, 
that certainly is a risk factor for the development of an eating disorder. Because if you think about it, if you are in a fan, your family of origin, which I was in a family of origin that, you know, certainly performance was something that was applauded. And if you feel like you have to achieve in order to feel worthy, if you feel like you have to achieve to be validated, then you're going to grow up thinking that that's your way of being loved and noticed in this world. And that high stress environment can certainly be a factor in the development of an eating disorder. And I'm not saying that parents shouldn't have goals for their kids and that they shouldn't, um, you know, push their kids to be their best. But what I am saying is to have a, a balance, right? To have a balance yeah. and to let your kids know, hey, you know what? I'm going to love you no matter what. You're a worthy person in this world, whether you get all A's and make varsity or not, right? You're worthy sure. of my love and my acceptance. It's a great point. You know, I've, I was at a conference and I was struck by the speaker who mentioned that eating disorders can be defined on a spectrum, that there's a small percentage of the population that would have what you would consider to be totally, I don't know the correct term, I'm sure this isn't it, but totally normal relationship with food, that it's right. all of us have our own quirks, whether it's not eating after a certain hour, avoiding certain foods. I guess my question, and again, I, you know, I, I think I see it a lot in the affluent communities, a lot in the high achieving communities, sort of where, what's your view on whether it's the, the newest fad keto diet, whether it's vegetarianism, you know, all these different ways of promoting healthy eating. I think one of the things is uh, where I go with this is because eating disorders are on a spectrum, right? They're, they're, they are on a spectrum. And when it starts to cross the line from kind of disordered eating to an eating disorder is when an individual's life starts to revolve around food, weight, diet, or exercise. So that's the kid that it's starting to interfere with their ability to manage well, meaning this, you know, maybe an individual is missing family meals because they feel shame about eating, so they eat in their room. Um, maybe this is a kid who is exercising excessively, starting to miss out on family functions or other family activities because of exercise. It's starting to interfere with how they're living their life. And, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot about, if you follow me on Instagram, I have an Instagram, it's at MetaFounder, and I talk a lot about what's called diet culture. And diet culture is this belief system that values thinness and health over everything else. And diet culture is that diet industry. The diet industry is a $72 billion a year industry. Everything from keto to WW to uh, intermittent fasting. Look, there's a new diet every six months, every 30 days. And if any diet ever, if any diet worked, there wouldn't be so many of them. And what ends up happening with diet culture is that you start to become obsessed with food and weight 
and exercise. And that type of mentality not only can lead to body dissatisfaction, but it can lead to guilt and shame around eating. And if you're yeah. constantly feeling guilt and shame around what, what you're eating and when you're eating and why you're, you know, why you're eating this and whether you exercised, then you're going to have a very challenging time embracing the body you have and really feeling good about yourself. Yeah. The other thing that I talk a lot about is like scales. I am a huge believer that one of the things that families can do today, right now, is get rid of the scale in their house. Yeah. Because a scale really sends the message to kids that this is what's important, right? And when kids start really um, becoming obsessed with a scale, or an adult starts to become obsessed with a scale, right? Think about it, how that can affect your mood. If the scale goes up a pound or two, you're going to be feeling defeated and low. And if the, the scale goes down, that might affect your mood in a more positive way. So, and that really takes the focus on the mind-body connection versus feeling, you know, really connecting with how your body feels versus what a number is telling you. I'm glad you mentioned the point about diet culture because I think some of the most difficult families we've dealt with is when you're in a system where that's praised above all else, whether, and I'm thinking of the classic example you see right. sometimes even multi-generational grandmother really works hard to be thin, mom is working hard to be thin, and now daughter is working hard to be thin. And again, stereotypical that it's female, but you know th that's th those are the cases where it can become very challenging, particularly if the child is underage. You know, what have you seen as be the best types of interventions in situations like that? You know, if somebody's over 18, I understand they can eventually move out, they can establish their own um, paths to to healing that might be independent of their family's viewpoints but what do you do if it's a 14 or a 15 year old in a system like that um, and, and one and i'm trying not trying to stump you here but and one who is also doing well in so many areas you know a lot of our eating disorder clients have very high grades very high sat scores so they're on this great trajectory and what we see are families that are really struggling with the idea that they may have to take time off from school or they may have to change the path that they're on in order to address this very serious issue, especially if they're enmeshed in this sort of diet culture family. Cur curious to see what you've, how, how you've experienced families like that and what you see are potential solutions. Yeah, this is something that I spend a lot of time um, talking about um, and working with families around because you're absolutely right, Arden. Um, there is a perfectionistic personality trait that is very common with individuals with anorexia and bulimia. And that, look, that perfectionistic tendency can be a great thing and it can be incredibly anxiety provoking and detrimental to someone's growth and development. And when we start to talk about, you know, families, it's like, what is your value system? And working with families about what truly matters to you. And if your son or daughter was interviewed and they were asked, what do my parents care most about? What would you want them to say? Would you want them to say, well, my parents care most about me being thin and attractive? 
Or would you want them to say, wow, my parents care most about uh, me being healthy, happy, independent, and confident. And I think one of the things that really chips away at confidence is diet culture and the pursuit of thinness and the emphasis on appearance. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I grew up in a very appearance-focused family, and that was not helpful for me for the development of a positive body image or the development of my self-esteem. Because if you're sure. always, if you're always, you know, relying on external validation from people and you don't have that internal validation, it's going to set you up for failure because look, not everybody's going to like you. Not everyone's going to think you're pretty. Not everyone's going to think you're a nice person. Not everyone's going to like your personality. But if you like yourself and you like your personality and you like your appearance, then you're going to be much more confident and successful. So working with parents, first of all, I want it to be very clear that parents are not the cause of an eating disorder. Eating disorders are multifaceted. They're biologically based. They're based on um, our society, environmental factors, personality factors. There's a lot that goes into the development of an eating disorder. Parents can be very, very helpful in the development of a kid who has strong self-esteem and a strong body image. And if, if we can work with parents around their value systems, what's important to them, and if they can see how the effect that drive for thinness has on an individual's um, ability to succeed, how that can hinder it, that is the piece that I think parents really wanna know. They, they really need to know. Um, and as far as parents taking kind of, uh, you know, their kid out of school for treatment or the kids maybe need to take time off, look, two, one, two, three months out of a, a life cycle is going to be, it means nothing. As much as my eating disorder treatment, I, it took me out of life for a while. I learned coping strategies that... I still use today and it made me a strong, successful, assertive woman. Does that make sense? It does. It, it very much makes sense. And one of the things I'm realizing as you're speaking is some of it is in, embedded belief systems that parents probably don't even realize. Absolutely. Like you may, you know, you made the comment earlier about somebody saying, do I look fat in this? Or, you know, things that I think some of it might just be an awareness thing. You know, switching gears a little bit is, you know, one question I have is in family systems where parents are on different pages, you know, mom really thinks that daughter needs to go to an eating disorder facility. Dad thinks that it can be managed on an outpatient basis, or it's not as big of a deal. She's just a picky eater, which is a, a term we hear a lot. How do you how do you navigate those situations when even the parents can't come to a consensus on what the right approach is? Family work, absolutely, because parents have to be on the same page. 100% parents, and, and this isn't just about eating disorders. This is like, this is kids with anxiety disorders, yeah. kids who have anger management, kids who are self-harming. Parents need to be on the same page. And so that can be, um, I do a lot of work with, with families doing just this, just exploring, you know, um, 
what maybe dad believes. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, dads um, want to fix it, right? They want to fix it. They want a quick fix. They want their kid in treatment and out of treatment and let's get this done, right? When does she start? When does she finish? Let's get it done. And then, you know, maybe the mom is like, oh, you know, she needs more of this. Um, maybe she needs a longer treatment. And it's, it's sitting with parents, getting them on the same page as a united front for what their child needs. And a kid with an eating disorder really needs that united front. They need to know, look, my parents are going to do what I need. They're going to keep me safe. They understand I'm hurting. They're going to take time to help me get through this. And so getting parents on the same page, absolutely key. Um, and that can take that can take time um, and it can take a lot of exploration to figure out, um, you know, why, why don't you want your kid to go to treatment or what are you afraid of? And kind of unpacking that with parents can be really, really helpful. And I think it's really, really important. Um, and look, there's a lot of different ways that kids can get care now. There's unbelievable, um, you know, COVID, one thing COVID did is they have, you know, uh, new treatment centers that are all virtual, all online. Yes. And those can be really, really helpful. Um, you don't necessarily have to go out of state. You don't have to go away. So there's, there's lots of different alternatives. There's home-based care. So there's lots of things that parents can do, but getting parents on the same page is really important. And then getting the whole family on the same page is really important. Um, I, I, you know, I dealt with a family not too long ago that their daughter had an eating disorder and the two boys were um, bulking up for sports. And so sure. there was a lot of emphasis on you know, supplements and powders and mixes and, you know, all these teas. And it was sending a lot of mis messaging to the daughter who was working really hard to kind of get out of this diet culture. So having the family work together um, and, you know, all work around getting rid of kind of diet culture in their house, getting rid of scales and not focusing so much on, um, changing their body, but focusing more on health and wellness. And again, that's, that's a slippery slope, right? Health and wellness. Um, it's, yeah. you know, healthy behaviors is what's important. It's a great point. And I feel like, you know, you mentioned how big the diet industry is. The health and wellness industry is also large. And I feel like there are it can be tricky to figure out, you know, what somebody's motivation is to engage in a certain type of healthy behavior. And so I can imagine that many right. parents um, struggle with it. But I liked your analogies earlier of when, when it's a warning sign that this isn't actually something healthy. I guess my, my last question is really one to think about the future. And are you hopeful about us getting rid of the diet culture, you know, now more so than 10 years ago? Sort of where do you see the future of body image and self-esteem and, and families going from here? Well, I think we've learned a lot through the pandemic. Um, Meta had a, a, you know, a 700% increase in the need for services 
during the COVID pandemic. And that told us, look, something's going on. All this research that has come out about the effects social media has on the development of uh, an adolescent's body image and self-esteem. So I think we, it, it, look, a lot has come to light as far as things that we can do to help um, prevent body dissatisfaction. Um, I think that I'm very hopeful that the more that we can educate families around um, incorporating a body positive environment, things that, that parents can do that really help them feel empowered, um, educating coaches and teachers, I think that's really important because they're on the front lines of seeing this and talking to kids about their bodies and healthy behaviors. So I'm, I am very helpful. I think education is needed. I think that working with families and communities is really important. Meta has launched a new recovery community called recoverwithmeta.org. And it's an online virtual self-help community where adolescents 13 and older can go on and get skills that they need in the moment. It's resources and help when you need it at any time. It has a community where uh, individuals can communicate through different um, uh, chat rooms uh, that are all managed by Meta staff and volunteers. So there's a lot that is new and innovative out there that we can really help kids from an early age learn to regulate their emotions, learn to talk positively about themselves and start to really accept the bodies that they were born with. And the reality is, is that not everyone in this country, in this world is tall and thin and that we really need to start embracing body diversity and that people who are in larger bodies can be just as healthy, not healthier than people in smaller bodies. And it's not about appearance, it's not about weight, it's not about BMI, it's about healthy behaviors. Sleeping well, eating a wide variety of foods, being active, and not taking time to focus on calorie counting and the new diet trend. Because that just is a waste of money and brain space. <laughs> Very true. Well, thank you, Becky, for joining us today. I think this conversation was really helpful. And I think for so many parents out there specifically, I think it's just helpful to hear how do we rethink our own, you know, messaging that we're giving, whether it's again, in you know, whether it's explicit or implicit. So thank you for joining us today on Beyond the Balance Sheet. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Arden. Thank you to all our listeners and our um, viewers. And if you are so inclined, please go give us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice. And we look forward to having you on our next episode. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.